We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 47 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets are still in first place. Bats are a little quiet right now, but reinforcements are on the way. Michael Conforto back with the team. Jeff McNeil back with the team. Unfortunately, Joey Lucchese probably going to be out for a while. Expected to get Tommy John surgery. And he is number 47 And we are on episode number 47. So before Joe joins here, and I'm very curious to get his opinions of my descriptions for these number 47s. Most notable, Jesse Orozco, 107 saves, two-time All-Star with the Mets, career 273 ERA with the Mets over eight seasons. Underdog, number 47, Joe McEwing, bit of a fan favorite utility man for a while. And an obvious number 47, probably the one that comes to your mind when I introed the show free agent signing Tom Glavin. Joe, what's going on, man? What do you think of those? Do you think the most notable is Glavin? Probably. I think Glavin is definitely probably the most notable. You you disagree? I disagree. Really? I think Orozco, number one, I think he has the most famous photo in Mets history. True. Yeah. I I mean, I guess thinking more from a recency thing. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, Orozco is obviously a much greater Met than Tom Glavin was. Uh, but one thing that I will always give Tom Glavin love for, which goes really under the radar when so he came obviously from the Braves to the Mets. And then when his Mets contract was up, he went back to Atlanta. Um, and at the time, there wasn't like the qualifying offer like there is now. There was like the type A free agent and a type B free agent. And A meant like a first round pick. Um And then it was like, if you signed by a certain date, you'd get the draft pick. And Atlanta intended to bring Glavin back basically from the word go. And Glavin essentially said to them, out of respect to the Mets, because they treated me well, like, I want you to sign me before whatever that date is. So so the Mets could get a first round pick out of it. And if I am not mistaken, which I don't think I am, it was either Ike Davis or Reese Havens because they had two first round picks that year. So it was one of those first rounders. Like he basically told Atlanta, like, I'm going to come back, but you're going to let the Mets get a first round pick. That is a great story that yeah. I've never heard. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. OK, so I don't I don't have the overall uh, underwhelming feeling about Tom Glavin. <laughs> now, now that, that does leave us off on a good note, because, of course, as Mets fans, we're, our, his last season with the team was kind of. Ugh. And then obviously the last star against the Marlins was course, uh, a disaster. Yeah. But another 47 to throw out point to the sky for Hansel Robles. Just got it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually the, the most hilarious yeah, one yeah. I could have given. Yeah, 47 is a weird number in Mets history, because obviously you have Orozco who wore it for a long time, I believe six full years and in a World Series moment that was very special. And he was a very, very good player, an important player for the Mets. Of course, you have Glavin, um, who is a a very popular player in general with the league. And then you just get a wild amount of random relievers until Lucchese came over here to wear it this year. And you know, I guess we should start right there, Joe, because it, it, you hate to start the show on a sad note. But the bottom line is this is a tough one. Of course, it's not the equivalent of a number one or number two starter going down. But this was someone that was acquired in the offseason, expected to kind of fill that fringe starter role of, hey, when we need a number five due to injury, we're waiting for reinforcements to come back. Lucchese's probably going to be that guy. We're going to build him up. We know he's not going to be perfect, but we think he can give us enough innings. The beginning was tough, but the last five starts were at, five appearances were just tremendous for Lucchese, a sub two ERA, 
in those five appearances. It feels like he feels like he had really started to figure it out after a slow start. So I, I just feel awful for him. It's obviously a tough blow for the Mets. And it, even though after Jared Eikhoff, of all people, had a nice fill-in start for the team, I, I j- it just feels like this is one of those times where as much as it does hurt the Mets, you really, really feel for the player in this spot. Yeah, I feel really bad for Joey. And his his mom is on Twitter. and like Seems like a nice lady. Seems like a nice lady. And she was like tweeting, uh, I think, at Miss Met and was like, all Joey wanted to do was win for you guys. He loved all the support from the fans, the churve thing. So like, and that's going to be the rallying Kai for the rest of the year. It's going to be the churve, churve, churve. Like all the players are doing the little churve sign when they get hits or hits hit home runs. So it's obvious that Lucchese, while his performance was, you know, subpar and until lately when he turned it around, he obviously had a very positive impact in the clubhouse because otherwise they wouldn't be doing that. So, I think it's a tough it's a tough break and you know the Mets starting pitching depth is obviously not in a great spot and it's the problem is it's still early like you know everyone's talking about the trade deadline and making a move for this making a move for that we're still weeks away from teams really confirming that they're selling so it's going to be a, it's going to be really tough for them to get through and they're just going to have to utilize Jared Eikhoff. Like, I guess Jared Eikhoff is the number five for the time being. Um, I know Zach Scott mentioned Thomas Sapucky and Tyler McGill, a couple prospects in AAA that could potentially be used if if they were needed in the near term. But yeah, they're they're in a spot where you know they did build up that starting pitching depth in the offseason, but man, they ran through it pretty quick. They really did. It makes you wonder imagine if it was the same old Mets and they didn't do that because yeah. traditionally they they don't add that much and this year of course a frontline addition like a Carlos Carrasco you got Stroman back on the qualifying offer you added Taiwan Walker late you expected Syndergaard to be back by now unfortunately there was a setback there but you and I we talked about this a lot quietly getting Lucchese and Yamamoto was really really good insurance well it looks like both of those guys aren't going to be back this year. And for Lucchese, it could be a long road of rehab and we'll be rooting for him. And it you're kind of in this situation where it's next man up, but that next man territory until Carrasco is back right now is Eikhoff. And I I was pretty surprised uh, he gave them four scoreless innings. I know it was a bumpy road at times. I think it's, you know, he's not going to be this lights out addition that that would be ridiculous to expect if he could be, mediocre in this very you know hopefully short stint that would be a gigantic win but the bottom line is the Mets are just going to have to get through it they're going to rely on a bullpen that's been very good and the offense has to get going and I feel like Joe and I say this every time the Mets hit a skid and fortunately the Mets have been playing really good baseball this year for the most part where these you know even when the bats were dead in the beginning of the year. They kept their head above water and, and won a lot of games. And, and recently, you know, you take three out of four against the Cubs, but you drop three out of four against the Nationals, and you split the doubleheader with the Braves. The frustrating part, because you say that and you go, okay, well, that's baseball. You're going to have a lot. And Pete even said that. Pete was like, it's the ebbs and flows of the season. But at the end of the day, it's it's the way you lose, right? Because I, I don't I try not to get mad at regular season losses, especially when the team has like a four game cushion in first place. But losing one nothing when you get four scoreless out of Eikhoff, a really good job by the bullpen. OK, Acuna hits a home run off Castro. It's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen when you lose one nothing. Those are the losses that you sit there and go, man, that's tough to stomach. It's tough to stomach because there's just no excuse for them losing one nothing ball games when this kind of offense. So the only thing I could say is right now with Michael Conforto back, Jeff McNeil back, I know those guys had really slow starts to the season, but you just got to hope that they are the players we expect them to be. And this offense can turn things around. Yeah. It's at the point where the replace Mets have kind of come back to earth a bit and, you know, Billy McKinney, you couldn't get him out and now you can't get on base. So those guys, you know, they did their job. They kept the Mets afloat, like you mentioned. But now it's time for things to turn around. Conforto and McNeil have to come back and be the, you know, all-star type of players that they are. 
Dom Smith needs to get a little more consistent. He's been better this month, but he still needs some more consistency. Like they need, they need power out of Pete more than he's shown. I mean, I know he has some home runs, but you know, he's not looking like the dominant power force that he had been. And you got guys like Brandon Nimmo nearing a return, you know, potentially JD Davis starting a rehab, I believe in the next week or two, Zach Scott said, so maybe he could eventually come back. Um, yeah, they, they just they need the guys that are the regular major leaguers to continue to play well. You know, Lindor has obviously turned it on this month. Um, James McCann's been really good this month. They need Conforto, Dom, Pete, and McNeil to really be who they are because, I mean, the rotation, you're going to have, you know, the inconsistencies probably with David Peterson. Um I think it might be optimistic to even call whatever you get from Jared Eikhoff inconsistencies. I, I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, more not good than good with him, but they have to just make it work and, you know, win the games where Jake pitches and Stroh pitches and Taiwan Walker pitches, win as many of those as possible and, you know, sneak out some of these games with the back end starter on the mound. And like you said, it's obviously frustrating to lose one nothing, especially when you got, you know, shutout ball from one of those back end guys. And obviously the way the last inning was, they lowered the bases with one out and Polaris just like put the ball in the air, tie the game, send it into the eighth inning, which is extras at that point. Um, but send, send it into extras and, you know, let's stay alive. But once he lined out and they almost doubled off Pete and then Drury came to the plate, I was just like, well, probably lost this one. <laughs> uh, that, that's, yeah. that's how I yeah. looked at it. So yeah, the offense is in a rut. But the, what has been good about the Mets and why they've been able to stay where they were this year is when things start to go bad or not so good, they tend to put a halt on it pretty quick. Um, they haven't had any extended losing streaks. I mean, imagine Mets Twitter if they had a Diamondbacks losing streak where the Diamondbacks just snapped a 17-game losing streak yesterday. Like, well, I mean, yeah, any just, Twitter should just revolt at that point. Oh, yeah, point. for sure. But, like, imagine Mets Twitter would be crazy. Like, one loss, you, you might as well have lost for a month. But, yeah, no, it was a tough loss. And, you know, it it is, to me, it is what it is. It stunk in the moment, and then you get over it. And um, on the tomorrow, I don't, especially at this stage, I don't really have strong reactions day to day. I just kind of like to see you know, how are things going? And obviously offensively they're off. So they have to pick that up. And they're so talented that, you know, we're going to keep saying how talented they are. Ultimately they need to produce talent means nothing if you're not producing, but they have the talent. So I have to imagine this offense is going to turn the corner here soon and, you know, really be the force that it's capable of being now that they're finally starting to get healthy. Like I think once, once Nimmo and JD come back, you know, assuming Jonathan VR's injury isn't serious, they should be essentially at full strength offensively. And when you look at it, it, it's just interesting to me. They haven't really had two guys in the same part of the lineup get hot at the same time. And, you know, sure, VR has been great in the leadoff role, and Lindor's had some very, very big moments. But I wouldn't say Lindor's had a moment where he's just scorching hot yet and, and we'll get there. You know, Pete's had some some blips, but once again, they just haven't had that moment where, you know, and that's largely in part because McNeil and Conforto haven't been playing. So a lot of that is you, one of those guys usually will be hitting really well. And then one of the Dom Pete Lindors will be hitting really well as And when I say hitting really well, I'm not saying, you know, Nimmo getting his walks, VR getting on base a lot, Pilar having his clutch moments. I, I mean, a guy. That's really tearing the cover off the ball. That's that's hitting gap to gap. It's hitting home runs. It's driving in a lot of runs. Something like that. I, I just feel like we haven't seen that yet with this team, which is once again a good sign in a sense that when it happens with the way the pitching's been, this should be a powerhouse. And, and it's just been a good baseball team. But you can see why I'm sure internally they think they can be great. So it's going to be a really exciting deadline. It's been a really fun team to watch overall. And it's, you know, we're going to see it's a long season, but these division games are just gigantic. There's no doubting that. And before we get to the questions today, we're going to do a little MLB draft because it's that time of year and we've been promising it. And it's not going to be a, hey, answer a question here, answer a question there. We're going to start doing draft segments every week. So 
you get the the number of the week, you get your Mets talk, and then instead of going right to the questions, we're going to do a lot of MLB draft. So you and you should be excited for that with the Mets picking 10th. We don't think they'll be picking that high for a while, or at least we hope that. So, Joe, I, I wanted to start it off with a question before I just get to general draft talk, because I know you're all over it right now. This was from Johnny. It was in our mailbag, but I pulled it up on the rundown earlier because it's so draft specific. And he said, is there any prospect in the upcoming draft that you could see rising to the majors as quickly as Conforto did? It would be cool to see the Mets grab somebody that can impact this team that's built to win sooner rather than later. So Conforto is really unique as a draft pick that came up, you know, within a year of being drafted as an offensive player and an impactful one at that. Typically, when you see a draft pick that moves really quickly like that, you know, up to the major leagues within a year, it's more than often than not like a starter in college that they move to a reliever and push like Garrett Crochet from the White Sox. He was drafted in the top 10 or 12 picks last year, and he made his major league debut in September. Uh, so like if to me, you're probably thinking more along the lines of that, like a power arm that you just say, we're not going to have him as a starter. He's just going to be an impact reliever and we'll get him here quickly. To me, that would be like a Sam Bachman from Miami of Ohio, who's been up to 102 on the gun uh, with a plus breaking ball and a changeup that shows some real potential. He just hasn't needed to use it in college. But like if you wanted to grab Sam Bachman in you know the middle of the you know top 10 15 picks and say we're going to call him a impact reliever you can move him along pretty quick but i mean there, there's a, there's always advanced college guys you know you could look at someone like Colton Kowser outfielder from Sam Houston State or a Sal Frelick from Boston College maybe those guys move a little quicker but Conforto was at a pretty rare pace uh, to see an offensive player that can be impactful, make his debut within a year of being drafted, and then obviously having the impact that he did in the postseason. So, yeah, Conforto to me is a bit rare. I don't see a Conforto in this class in that sense, but if you're looking for like just a get someone quick to the majors, maybe someone like a Sam Bachman or even a Ryan Cusick from Wake Forest, who is another big power arm. That's usually where I look. Like The big power arms that have some questions as to whether they're starters long-term, and, you know, move them to the pen and get them up. Well, it's a really interesting talking point, right? And it's something that Keith Law recently wrote about. You know, the title of the article on The Athletic was, are high draft picks getting to the majors faster than ever? And and that's different than Johnny's question, because in that situation, like you said, Joe, with Conforto, and like he's saying, is there certain guys that are in this draft that it's like, you know what, that guy's probably going to be in the majors in a year or two. And what Law's outlining is, just in general, are guys getting there faster because the 2018 class, the first seven players all have made their debut in the majors. That was started when Jared Kellenick got called up, and that's from the 2018 class. Obviously, last year was a little weird uh, not having that minors, but that that's less than three years after the draft that the top seven picks had all debuted in the majors. That's in the baseball world. I feel like that maybe I'm crazy, but that feels wild to me, especially when you have high school kids being drafted. That is very, very fast. And, you know, the only the eighth pick was Carter Stewart, who didn't sign and now is in Japan. So yeah, that's a that's a weird outlier out of them all. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, Carter Stewart's an interesting one. You don't worry. You don't often get picked in the top 10 and not sign. I mean, it happens from time to time, but very rarely does it occur. And he, instead of going to college, was like, I'll just go make money pitching in Japan instead. And then when my contract's up there, I'll be a little older, but I'll come back to America. And I don't know if he's really lit Japan on fire like he thought he would, but uh, certainly was an interesting risk that he took. And I, I thought it might set at the time, I thought it might set a precedence for some high school kids going forward. But I haven't seen anyone else even think about doing the same thing. So looks like he might be an outlier there. But as far as yeah, move, tough. as far as moving quickly, uh, Jeremy Barnes, the Mets director of player development, told Jacob Resnick and I on Mets perspective on SNY that being aggressive is kind of the mantra now. And I think you're seeing some of the advanced analytical organizations finding ways to move these guys along quicker through the system. You know, there's there's no use in having 
you know, a high school arm pitching your minor leagues for five years, if you could avoid it, like if you're able to use technology and things to help these guys advance, you can move them a little quicker. Why wouldn't you? That's where you're, you're going to get the value out of them. Either a, once they reach the higher minors, you can utilize them as trade chips. It's really hard to build blockbuster deals around, you know, kids in low A or something like that. So you move them along to Myers to have them as trade chips or B, they just end up in the majors a little faster. So I do think teams as a whole are trying to be more aggressive. But yeah, no, I think it was an interesting article by Keith Law. And, you know, it, there's obviously a change going on within baseball. And to be fair, Keith kind of came to the ultimate conclusion that it's not necessarily true. They're really not being moved to the majors faster than ever. But like you said, Joe, there are definitely teams are figuring out a little better the right path, the right timeline. And maybe we are seeing a little bit more success for certain guys moving quickly. So it was just an interesting talking point. But sticking with the draft, I just want to start with very generic because we haven't talked a ton of draft with you besides some guys in the top 10, some big injuries we've had to college arms. Just who are your latest risers and fallers that you, you think are also very, very, um, you know, wise to relate potentially to the Mets sitting there with that top 10 pick. So when you bring the Mets into it, it changes the conversation a little, but a guy like Khalil Watson is one that really jumps out to me. Uh, when I really started this process a couple months ago, he was a guy that I was like, you know, maybe the Mets would consider him if he, you know, at 10, like he should go in the 10 to 12 range. And I think even one time you sent me like a screenshot of a mock draft where the Mets took Watson, but the, I'm hearing he could go as high as number two. So he is Whoa. really shot up the boards. He had a massive spring um, at Wake Forest High School in North Carolina and MLB Pipeline ranks him inside their top five prospects now overall in the draft. And like I said, he was a guy that I thought, you know, would be there at 10 almost for sure a couple months ago. And, you know, he's a guy that he plays shortstop, but teams believe he could play second, center field, kind of whatever you want up the middle. Really good athlete, uh, has a power over contact approach right now. So he's got to tone down the swing a little bit. But, you know, even at 5'9", 180 pounds, he shows, you know, above average raw power. He has a chance to be a very dynamic player. And, you know, there's word that he might not make it out of the top five at this point. So Watson, to me, is a big time riser. Um, a guy that for me has, you know, uh, fallen a little bit is outfielder Judd Fabian from Florida, who's another one that, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, he's kind of the prototype that, you know, the Mets could look could look at. Uh, he could play center field. He has above average power. He has some strike zone knowledge, but he struck out at an absurd rate this year, like an over 30% strikeout rate. He just didn't hit the ball nearly enough. And this is a guy that I thought was a top 10 lock a couple months ago to now being picked in the 20s, maybe. Like he he's definitely, you know, I guess you'd say stocked down in a sense. So for me, Judd Fabian would be my main stock down guy and uh, show some love to Khalil Watson for stock up. But if you want me to bring, you know, the the Mets into the fold, which obviously makes sense considering this is a Mets podcast, a, a guy like Colton Kowser, who I mocked to them uh, in my last mock draft for SNY.TV, he's, he's now ranked exactly number 10 in MLB Pipeline's rankings. But, you know, if you told me at the beginning of the process that Kowser would be a top 10 pick, I would not have believed you. But he had a really nice spring for Sam Houston State, actually showed power at one point, homered in four straight games. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, a 30 home run type bat or anything at, at the big league level. And MLB Pipeline has compared him to like a Bradley Zimmer or Brandon Nimmo type player. So I know that would really excite you, Connor. But oh, love no, it. But can't get enough of more Nimmo. <laughs> but Kowser's definitely a riser and someone that I think is squarely on the Mets radar. Not saying they're going to pick him, but I do think he is on their radar as you know an option at number ten. Hey man, four ninety OBP this year, and he's been hit by a pitch six times in fifty five games. So the Kowser 
Nimmo comp is very, very real. But I mean, listen, I, I love hearing that because just in general, the draft talk, because the the Mets are in such a fascinating spot at 10, right? Because of all of this movement, all this volatility in the order. You know, I'm looking at Keith Law's mock draft and it, this I'm sure we'll have a new one very soon because the last one was May 27th. And you see Kowser there at 14 to the Giants. So it's not out of the realm that he worked his way up and, and can go to the Mets at 10 or even before that. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Now, here's a question... And we've briefly touched on this before, Joe, but the way I'm wording it is definitely changed a little bit with the Mets or a team like the Mets, because I think this is a unique situation because not a lot of teams in baseball necessarily have a player under contract for 10 and a half years because the Lindor extension kicks in next year. And I have read not a ton of MLB mock drafts, but, you know, obviously the big ones when, of course, when you put one out. I read it when Keith Law with The Athletic puts one out. I read it when I get Bleacher Report notification because that's where I am employed full time. I usually read it. I've seen quite a few with the Mets taking a shortstop at 10. Now, I totally understand a lot of the draft world. And you've said this before. You don't really think of the major league club when you draft. But with such a unique situation where you're assuming your shortstop is set for the next decade plus. Don't you think it's a little interesting or should factor in when you have a top 10 pick? If you're take if you're in the 20s or outside the top 15 and a good player is there at short and you know the deal, half of these dudes either get to, especially the high school kids, they grow out of playing short. They end up at third base. They end up at second base. They end up in a corner outfield spot. Whatever. So be it. I totally get that. But don't you think it has to come into play as a thought, especially if the prospect is a, hey, a lot of his premium tools are his glove and arm and range at short. I think it can factor in when you when you really paint it like that. But for the most part, no, Uh, you just take who the best player is. And I mean, go ahead and look at most, you know, prospect big boards. I mean, all the best players in high school and college, they're playing shortstop, center field, right-handed pitcher. Like, that's just where they play because they're the best athletes on their team, and that's where you put your best athletes. So to me, it's just be sure when you're scouting that they have the skill set to translate to second base or third base or center field. Like a guy like Khalil Watson, like I mentioned, seemingly scouts think he could play any of those spots essentially. So like that obviously gives you some versatility. But for the most part, the reason you see so many shortstops is simple that they're the best athletes on their team 
and that's just kind of where they put them. But certainly, you don't want to draft a guy that it's like he's only capable of playing shortstop, and that's where his top skills reside. Uh, to me, you you just when you pick ten, you have the chance to get a premium asset. And if you're gonna be, if you can get a premium asset, you really can't worry about the position that he plays. You could just you figure that out down the road. If he ends up, you know, like a really really good player, then you'll find a spot for him. Like I know Brady House is a name that's been linked to the Mets at times, and you know he's a shortstop now, but he might be a third baseman at the next level. And you know, I think often you see fans try to go, all right, well, what about Brett Beatty? The reality is the reason you need to add all these prospects is they're not all going to pan out the way you want them to. You know, Brett Beatty looks fantastic now and I'm high on him. And I know that you're, you've come around a bit and you're getting more high on him, but there's no saying that he hasn't come to the major leagues and end up being, you know, just a solid regular. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a successful draft pick. If you draft a guy in the first round and he ends up just a solid regular, that's a win. Because uh, a lot of first-round picks don't ever even sniff the major leagues, so I, you know, kind of long-winded to say no. no. It was yeah. great points yeah. though to say no. Basically, like I'll take a shortstop and not think twice about it, and just figure out where he plays down the road. Let him play shortstop in the minors. I mean, that's what they're doing with Ronnie Mauricio at this point, where it's like obviously he's in theory closer to the major leagues than whoever you would draft at number ten if it were to be a shortstop but they're not moving them offshore until they kind of have to. So, yeah. No, it's a great point because, I mean, I see it with high school players in football all the time that just play quarterback, right? And it's, you know, in college, I can't tell you how many scouting reports I've written. Could be a 260-pound linebacker, could be a five foot nine running back. A lot of times, one of the first lines in the scouting report is high school quarterback or state champion quarterback. And it's that's just how it goes. They're just... Like you said, it's that's high school sports are a totally different animal because, of course, the best athlete on the team is going to play the premium position on the team, whether that's shortstop, whether that's quarterback, whatever that may be. So that that answer makes a ton of sense. All right. To close out the draft talk, one thing I really did want to ask you as I just go through a million of these lists, give me one guy you're higher on than the consensus and one guy you're lower on. So I'm. It, they've started to come around on him, you know, recently. But I remember texting with you about him last summer. Jackson Joby, right-handed pitcher from Heritage Hall High School in Oklahoma, to me, is a top four player in this draft. And MLB Pipeline right now has him at eight. So they, they th- they're starting to think highly of him. But coming into the process, I had him as a top five player. And most people had him, you know, in the 20s or something like that. But this is a high school arm that's up to 99 on the gun this spring. Uh, Plus, 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 like potentially 80 grade slider. Like there's a chance that his slider is the best pitch of any pitcher in this draft. So not just anyone's slider, just anyone's anything. Like no one's pitch is as good as Jackson Joby's slider, which has showed spin rates over 3,000 RPMs, which is, you know, elite for the major leagues. Like that would be you know, top two in the major leagues for slider spin rate. So for me, Jackson Joby has a chance to be truly special. Um, I have him, like I said, fourth on my rankings. So we'll see kind of where he ends up going. High school arms, there's some risk to, to them, but I've heard him as high as number three to Detroit. And I don't think he would make it to number 10, but if he made it to number 10, you would have, you know, me me crying for him despite the Mets, you know, having not drafted a high school arm since Scott Casimir in the first round, like a true first round pick. They've used, you know, supplemental first rounders and a lot of second rounders on arms. That's kind of what they tend to do. But literally the last time they took a high school arm with a real first round pick was Scott Casimir. That's how long it's been. So I don't expect them to take him if he's there, but holy hell, if he is, I'm going to be crying for it. And a guy that I'm lower on than, Many is a uh, UCLA shortstop Matt McLean, who also has been tied to the Mets at number ten. Tied to the Mets yeah. by Keith Law. <laughs> yeah, and to be clear, this is not an indictment. Like if they take Matt McLean, doesn't mean it's a bad draft pick. To me, I just don't see that impact potential, and that's kind of what I'm looking for when I'm talking about a top ten player. Like McLean, 
if you took him in the top 15 to 17 picks, I'm okay with it. I think it's fine. But inside the top 10, I'm looking for someone that I think is going to be truly impact. And to me, McLean is kind of solid across the board. So he could be a solid regular uh, shortstop or second base. But to me, there's not like a standout, standout tool. Like he's got, you know, good bat the ball skills, good contact skills. He should hit for a solid average. Um, his strike zone knowledge is pretty solid. His pop, he's got a little more pop in there than kind of I initially thought. But, you know, maybe 15 home runs type at the most, maybe at the major league level. So to me, I'm just looking at him as like a, a rock solid regular. And if they took him at number 10, I wouldn't be, you know, disappointed per se, but I, I, it wouldn't. I wouldn't jump out of my chair and be like, let's go, you know, really excited. Uh, I think he's just a fine prospect and, you know, he's, he is someone that the Mets have interest in. So will they pick him? Remains to be seen, but he's, he's on the list of, of names that they're considering. And, you know, I've been wrong a million times before. So if they take him, I hope he becomes the biggest superstar in Mets history. I, I mean, listen, there's nothing, you know, just looking at the numbers, there never has been big power numbers while at UCLA. And like you said, what's the premium tool? So I, I totally get it from that perspective. And, you know, we'll see. I, I mean, we'll see. It's 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 interesting to go through a lot of these top 15 guys. And I'm just a fan, just an outsider. But I when I'm taking someone in, especially the top 10, like you said, I would hope there's a tool there or a, there's some kind of upside as a pitcher. Those are the two things that I would really, really want with a top 10 selection. And like I said, I, I'm just a believer that the Mets opportunities picking this early are going to be few and far between in the future where I would rather take the big swing this year and then take prospects like you described with McLean. And there could, you know, like you said, there, there could be a breakout there. There could be something more there. But right now just feels like kind of a meh. Pick. Oh, but it, interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Interestingly enough, I kind of feel the opposite. I almost want to play it safe at 10. Like, I don't want to swing for the fences and miss. Like, I want to get a guy that I know is going to be a good big leaguer. So, like, to me, like a guy like Ty Madden from Texas, feel great about him. A guy like Colton Cowser from Sam Houston State, feel really good about him. I'd rather play it safe. And then, you know, in the future years when they're picking 29th and 30th and everything, when they're winning World Series, is, um, that's when you go for broke. That's what the Dodgers do. The Dodgers, that's where you pop, you know, uh, a Jaden Hill at 28 overall and just, all right, he's hurt, but upsides through the roof. High school kid, like, I I could already tell you that probably the late first round, a team like Tampa Bay or the Dodgers, someone like that, they're going to pop um, Chase Petty from New Jersey, actually, from a high school in New Jersey who touches 102. Like, the, the 20s to me, that's where you go for broke. That's where it's like, I got nothing to lose. Like, what am I going to take? Just, you know, a, a decent college player at 25 overall, who, you know, doesn't really possess much upside and his downside is pretty low too. Like, dude, just that's when you go for broke. To me, number 10, I'm trying to play it relatively safe. And that doesn't necessarily mean college. Like, there's some high school players with, you know, kind of safe skill sets and, yeah, I'm not, I'm not opposed to, you know, taking high school or college at 10. But yeah, conversely, I kind of like it the other way. Like when they're picking the 20s, that's when it's like, screw it, go for it. Like go for complete upside. You have to lose. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, know, you have much less to lose at that point, whereas you don't want to blow a top 10 pick. I, I can't argue against it. I mean, either way, I have to say, and I don't say this often about really any team I root for or at least in the last decade, the Mets scouting staff. And since a lot of them have been here for a long time, clearly have a system that has worked pretty well. I mean, quite frankly, they've drafted very, very well. And they've also drafted to the point where it's the right approach where they, they have a lot of talented arms or had a lot of talented arms come up. They've had a lot of bats end up developing a lot of them from high school, whether it was Dom, whether it was Nimmo, obviously Pete was a big time college bat, but they obviously have a track record of a system that works and and it'll be exciting to watch this year. All right. Time for the mailbag, the full mailbag, the questions of the week. 
Going to turn a lot of this back to Mets talk, big league club talk. First one from Sean Heil. For both of you, did you see the SNY Twitter trade proposal for Jose Barrios? If so, what are your thoughts? And if Joe, if you didn't see it, let me know and I will pull it up. I know Mauricio was the center, the front piece of that deal. Yeah, it was Ronnie Mauricio, JT Ginn, and Junior Santos, a big right-hander that's like a top 15 guy or so in the system. Okay. Um, I didn't know him very well. Yeah, he's 6'8", up to, he's 6'8", and he's and, and he's up to he's 90. left tackle. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's he's the next Makai Becton, maybe. I don't know. No, he's not. He's certainly not that big, but he's just, you know, a, a big guy, throws hard. Um, to me, and I'm okay with it personally. Like, I would do it. Totally. If I was the twins, I wouldn't do it. I don't think the Mets are ripping them off by any means because I think JT Ginn has really high upside. Mauricio's great. And then Santos is kind of like, it feels like when you see deals like this, there's always that like high upside teenager Latin American prospect that gets thrown in as like the last piece and it's just like an upside play. To me, I think the best idea for the Twins is to hold on Bur- onto Burrios until the offseason where you can really open up the market. Because at this point, if you're shopping him at the deadline, so he has a year and a half of control left. So I don't I don't think that really makes much of a difference in value a year and a half versus just... I think a, it does for the Mets, dude. Well, I mean, it does. Sure, that's fair. It makes a difference from that right? perspective. But, but to my point, like from a value perspective, you're going to be limiting the teams that can go after him. Mm-hmm. Because now, you know, the fourth place team in the NL Central, whoever that is, they may have visions of contending in 2022, but not 2021. So they're not going to trade assets right now for Jose Barrios. So to me, if I were the Twins, I would hang on to him until the offseason. But if they want to make him available and I'm the Mets, I am making that call in a heartbeat. And I'd have zero issue giving the deal that uh, SNY you know, put on Twitter for discussion. First off, whenever these trades come up, a lot of times it's it's funny. Number one, you know, you have a good one when both sides hate it. Right. And I, I don't know how each side reacted to this overall. Now, what I'll say is these are very difficult to do. I think this was well done. Number one, I think you have. I think you have a, an obvious top prospect from the system, of course, in Mauricio. Gin, who's a riser and has a lot of upside, no doubt about that. And then, of course, somebody like Santos that is, I don't want to call him a throw-in. I don't know if that's fair, but he's 17 years old. Like, you don't know what. He's a teenager still. So now what I can say is Jim Bowden did a really good piece on The Athletic of the the 75 trade candidates, right? Which, of course, that I know. That's a lot of work. Now... To be fair to Jim, too, there's a lot of guys he wrote in here that he's just like, I don't know why they would trade him, but he's just addressing it because, you know, there's somebody on Twitter asking about every single player. So the the reason I opened this article, let's be real, I didn't read all 75. I went to Berrios. Now, he said it'll take at least two top five prospects to land him. Now, that kind of makes the Mets offer in the grand scheme of things, the the SNY proposed offer, a little low. I would do this. I'm with you, Joe. This is like, I'm not even hesitating. When I saw this, I was like, okay, done. Now, once again, I I completely agree with you. If you're the twins, you, you don't really want to move him unless you're blown away until next offseason. The Mets, though, on the other hand, the reason you're doing this deal, if you are doing this deal, is because you need him now, because then you're giving a two-year contending window with him before he has to be paid. And it's kind of nice to have this evaluation period where, let's be real, at the end of the 2022 season, obviously, Taiwan Walker, you'd expect to opt out. We don't know if Stroman will be here. We don't know if Syndergaard will be here. Carrasco will be entering a free agency period after that year. And I know everybody's down on him now. I really think Carrasco is going to come back for the Mets this year, obviously, but be an expected big piece next year. You know, obviously, DeGrom can opt out. I think they'll get that one done. But like I said, there's so many question marks with the rotation after 2022 that 
you can kind of do a bigger evaluation period if you had a guy like this in there as well and, and really start to decide, OK, who do we want to pay? Who do we think we can move on from while having this huge two year window right now to contend where let's be real, he can carry the load as your number two starter, number three starter, number four starter, whatever it may be while you're waiting for. You know, Carrasco to come back, Syndergaard to come back, all of those things, and then give you a big time arm for next year. And obviously, if you acquire him, you're probably letting Syndergaard walk in that situation or or Stroman, one of the two, which we've talked about for a while. So this is a name that I would be really excited about. Of course, a two time all star. Uh, he just turned 27 at the end of May. A really young player, former first round pick, tons of talent. He's having a really good season been a reliable pitcher since 2017 right I mean he's been four sub four ERA every year since 2017 like I said two-time all-star probably an all-star this year so yeah that that's a no-brainer to me I'm not I'll be honest with you and and you know more than anyone about this exact subject and I'd be curious your take and you could say this about any prospect so I guess this is kind of a, a very general vanilla statement I mean, Mauricio really is just a huge boomer bust pick right now. We've seen serious pop. We've seen him grow into a six foot three frame. We expect him to hopefully be able to play a corner spot, whatever corner that may be, because we know Lindor is going to be here. But strikes out, striking out a lot. OBP is below 300. I I can't speak to how he's been defensively, but we know he's not going to play shortstop here. I like Mauricio. I hope he's a big-time player. I hope he's a big-time player for the Mets. He's not on that level of, obviously, Alvarez before Matt Allen got hurt, even the way Beatty's progressed. He's just not there where I... He's not the guy I'm going to stand in front of and say, no, 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 the talks can't even start here with him. No, I'm... I'm, He's the guy. That's the big piece that you trade, honestly. Him and Vientos. To me, I think Mauricio's the biggest piece that... I'm reasonably willing to talk in a trade for sure. And when you talk, and it really depends who's available too, because at the end of the day, there isn't a prospect that I wouldn't trade. It's just a matter of, you know, what am I getting out of it? But for a guy like Barrios, who might be, you know, the best guy in the market, you're going to have to part with something good. And Mauricio, to me, I agree, stands out as kind of like the most obvious candidate. He's stuck up for me this year. It's not like, I'm down on him, but obviously he has things he still needs to work on and where they're going to play him. Like second base, is that an option? But like how many six, four, whatever second basements have you seen? Like it's not exactly the most common um, build for the position. So it would be a bit of an outlier for him to play there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they develop with Mauricio. But when you're talking about someone like Jose Barrios, who could be impactful now and next year, and then, you know, potentially for years to come, you know, to me, that's that's really a no-brainer. So I, we'll see if the Twins want to shop him. I know there's rumors that basically they're not going to pay him so that they they may consider starting to take offers next month. But if I ran the Twins, I would just hold them until the offseason and open up that market to 10, 15 teams instead of, what, three to five or whatever the case may be that could reasonably pursue him. And as far as like Jim Bowden saying it's got to be two top fives, I appreciate what he's saying. And it's important to give con, you know, to say that kind of stuff in an article. So it makes sense. But from a of course, from, different. Yeah. System to system. Yeah. From a context standpoint, obviously, the Mets top five is different than the Dodgers top five, different than the Red Sox top five, et cetera. So, you know, I think I don't think the trade proposal from SNY is actually that crazy. Um is it a little light? Maybe, but I think I think it's perfectly fine. And, you know, I I'd, even as the prospect guy, I'd be fine trading those pieces, bringing in a guy like Barrios and, uh, you know, setting up this team, like you said, with starting pitching for the long term, because there's not a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And I'm laughing. I'm sitting here, Joe, uh, at mid show. The Mets claimed Robert Stock. Oh, I talked about that on from- Twitter. I know you did. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, they just saw him pitch. I know he struggled against the Mets in his season debut, but I mean, let's be real. The Mets need freaking arms right now. I, the reason I'm laughing is when I saw the claim go through, 
I went to his Twitter. Did you know he's he's actually very funny on Twitter? I did not know this. I knew literally nothing about Robert Stock other than he threw hard. So no. Okay, so I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be like I've searched into years of his tweets. So if he says stupid stuff, I apologize. But I'm just looking at his last tweet <laughs> from a couple days ago. I guess it was after the start. He goes, thank you for all the support, everyone. Double exclamation point. Considering I walked approximately 40 batters and went about as well as it could have. I'll dial it in next time and make it more fun to be a fan of mine. Now, time to make sure my wife doesn't follow through on her threats. <laughs> so at a minimum, this is a big personality ad into a clubhouse that we know is not short of any of those. So Robert Stock, I'm sure he will get a look as the Mets need guys to start baseball games, quite frankly. And I'll keep this train moving. We don't, You and I don't have to spend an hour on Robert Stock, but I wanted to give you that news because... Of course, it was something you mentioned about 24 hours before it happened. So uh, this co-host of mine, he he knows a thing or two about this Mets baseball team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a good move. They're they're short on arms and they're going to have some 40 man flexibility. Obviously, Joey Lucchese is going to hop right to the 60 day IL, I could imagine, given that he's getting Tommy John surgery. You can actually 60 day IL J.D. Davis at this point and not impact his return date at all and just open a 40-man spot for now if you want to. And a guy like Robert Gazelman, who Zach Scott said is not going to throw for six weeks, well, you know, you're getting pretty close to that 60-day, so you could just throw Gazelman on the 60-day. So there's some flexibility there as far as 40-man roster. And like I said, they need pitching so bad. So even if Stock comes in and kind of fills a multi-inning reliever out of the uh, um, multi-inning role out of the bullpen initially, or if you want him to start instead of Eikhoff, like that's that's an option. So to me, very worthwhile claim. He throws hard, and yeah, I guess we'll we'll see what comes of it. All right, the next question is from Christopher Schulz. Assuming all position players come back healthy, where does Almora fit into this roster? He hasn't looked right in center field since returning, and he can't really hit. If he continues to worry about a ball hit near the wall, do you see the team looking within the organization or elsewhere? So my quick two cents on this, you can, I know Almora has options, so you can send him to Syracuse. I don't think you need to go on this center fielder hunt. I just think Pilar ends up being the fourth outfielder. And Pilar, when I say fourth outfielder, I don't mean that as an insult. I don't mean that as a guy that doesn't play. He will play plenty. But the bottom line is, we know this outfield when healthy is Dom, Nimmo, Conforto, Pilar will be the fourth outfielder. We know he could play center field. If that's where Christopher's going at here, can you move on from Almora? I think you easily can, especially the fact that you don't have to DFA him. What do you think, Joe? Well, he has a minor league option, so if you want to send him to AAA, you can, of course. Um, I I don't know about the... like. I Last night, that play with him and Dom Smith, to me... It looked as if there was a miscommunication between him and Dom, not him being afraid of the wall. But I had people in my mention saying he's afraid of the wall, you dummy. And so, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in his head, but I still think he could play the hell out of center field. And, you know, there is there is a potential role for him. But having the minor league option, I think, is obviously a benefit to the team if they don't want to move on from a guy like Billy McKinney. And, you know, it. If he stay, if McKinney struggles for the next, call it whatever, couple weeks until Nimmo comes back, I mean, do you still want to keep him around? So you just see how it plays out. But to me, I think Almore having options only helps the Mets. They could send him to AAA if they want. Or if it works out that he's fine to be that fifth outfielder and just defensive guy and speed off the bench, you know, there, there can still be a role for him. I, I definitely don't think they need to go outside the organization right now. I don't think that's really anything, but you know, we'll we'll see how the next few weeks go and make sure Nemo actually gets back cuz you know, if he has another setback, then he's not coming back and the conversation's kind of moot. But yeah, I think Almora is a interesting guy and you know, I would not be afraid at any point to utilize his minor league option, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely with you there. All right, the next one's from Drew Kellenberger. Do you think players like Vientos might get traded since it seems we have a roster crunch coming in the offseason and have to 
have too many players to add to the 40 man as to not lose them in the rule five draft. So I know you love the rule five. I love, so I love going directly to you. <laughs> I love the rule five draft, but my buddy Jacob Resnick is the expert on who's eligible for the rule five. I basically don't pay attention until the off season. Then I just go, all right, well who are options and then figure out who needs to be added. But there, they chain overhauled the 40 man roster basically by 50% this off season. So they're not going to be afraid to move on from guys and, and make changes. Viet, I would not trade Vientos out of fear of adding him to the rule, you know, to the forty man roster to not lose him in the Rule Five draft. To me, that's that's not a good way to treat a prospect of his caliber. If the right deal comes across, I'll trade Mark Vientos. But you know, I don't rush any prospects out the door. The deal has to make sense. Um, but no, I don't, I'm not so worried about the Rule Five draft. I. I be, so he's eligible. I think Tyler McGill might be eligible at this point. So you'll you'll have to add him too. But yeah, if you if you want to really find out who's eligible early, Jacob is probably your your best best bet for that. But in the off season, I will cover all the prospects that are eligible. Who needs to be added? Um, who can go off the forty? I mean, let's be honest. Look at the Mets forty man roster. I'm sure you could quite easily tell what guys could go on that forty man. Best Rule 5 draft pick of all time? Probably Josh Hamilton, right? Um, oh, yeah. Johan Santana. Roberto Clemente was a Rule 5 pick, I believe. Um, but, like, Josh Hamilton's probably notable. I mean, Johan was... Johan didn't, you know, burst on the scene right after getting picked, but obviously he's... Johan and Josh Hamilton and Roberto Clemente are probably your three most well-known, you know, Rule 5 picks. And... uh Brad Emus, too, of course. It's funny, <laughs> you know, of course, and Dan Ugla, of course. Um, Hamilton and Santana are, are two of the most notable in recent baseball history. And ironically, the teams that took them in the Rule 5 draft traded them so quickly. Santana was taken by the Marlins in 99, and they immediately just dumped him to the Twins. And we know how that went for the Twins. Hamilton, of course, was technically taken by the Cubs, but then traded to the Reds. But after that great 90 games he played for the Reds that year, they traded him to the Rangers. So very it's not like those teams cashed in on great lotto tickets. If anything, they obviously kind of screwed it up. All right. Last question. Love when we can get some rule five draft talking to the show. Last question is from Eric Briggs. This, I had to save this one for last because I thought it was the best question we got or or one of the best. You could have a long form interview with one current Met. Who would it be, Joe? Long form interview with one current Met. Is it Lee? So Jacob DeGrom to me is obvious. I think that kind of goes without saying, so I won't go too deep Not into a that. Fascinating interview, though. I mean, I don't. I guess could probably different out of a presser. Let me make that. Clear. Yeah, maybe different out of a presser, but like. I think of long form as just very interested in his background. Like I want to yeah, hear not about baseball. this. Not yeah. all baseball. Yeah, not all baseball, but even from the baseball perspective, like, hey, Jake, what happened when I saw you in double A throwing 91 to 93? How come you how'd you start throwing 100 and being the best pitcher on the planet? Like explain like what what the, what happened? What changed? What actually is different between those times? Because, you know, I've told that story on here many a time. It's simply like. I saw him and he looked like just a guy. And obviously I was wrong and he was much more than that. But I think Jake is is a pretty obvious one. Um, of course, I would love to spend plenty of time with Edwin Diaz. Um, that, that that goes without question. Um, but there's, there's a lot. I there's heard a, speak English for the first time in the yeah. post-game press era. Yeah. Uh, it sounded incredible by the way i just want to make that clear i was like i know why guys use translators and right. i don't blame them at all you you want to make sure you're you're not fair right yeah you don't yes, want to be lost not, yeah you don't want to lose i would in i know i would do it i would yeah too. i would like, absolutely do it but yeah. but when he did speak english i was like wow his english is amazing it's yeah. not just good no edwin can talk, can speak english it's just you know from from that translating perspective you know they if you hear something different or you say something it'll get taken absolutely, the wrong way. Dude. So I, absolutely. I a hundred percent would utilize the translator, but to me, there's, there's a lot of interesting characters on this team. Like, yeah, I, I'm interested to see 
who who you'd want to sit with long you know long form you know obviously pete would be super entertaining um i think conforto mcneil mm, they'd be okay lindor I, oh, i'm not even gonna let you name i'm, I'm just naming every player <laughs> well yeah i wouldn't go with any of the obvious ones um that's for sure i honestly there's a little trick to this too and i've learned this from interviewing nfl guys it's very interesting to talk to players that have played for a lot of teams because then you you can ask almost any question like, you know, what's the most interesting clubhouse you've been in? What's the most interesting manager you've played for? What's the most like, you know, there's so many different questions you could ask when a guy's played for a lot of teams. Uh, so VR would be very, very high on my list, honestly, just because he has the background that's interesting being an international free agent. Um, being traded by the team that signed him in international free agency, which was the Phillies, being a top 100 prospect, having a, you know leading the league in steals, but also just having to bounce around. Like he's he's this guy that's been a really good major leaguer, but never good enough to get the five year contract somewhere or, or have this long term home. He's played for he's been with the Phillies organization. He's played for the Astros. He's played for the Brewers. He's played for the Orioles, the Marlins. Uh, the Blue Jays and now the Mets. And, and he's just, I know they said on the broadcast, his mom was a really good softball player, I believe, like a power hitting softball player, and that she videos his at bats. So when he has a bad at bat or is in a slump, she can side by side what he's doing wrong with his good at bats. Wow. So I just think he's a, he's, he's a very interesting person in terms of the game and what his journey has been in the big leagues for eight years now. I mean, that's a lot of stops. So VR would be up there for me pretty high. Like you said, there's a lot of guys that they're awesome dudes. I'm a big fan of them as athletes and players. And I don't know if they, if, how interesting they would be in long form, right? Like Alonzo McNeil, um, Conforto, you know, like Conforto wouldn't really do it for me. I think Pilar's had an interesting career like yeah. VR. So those would be, those would be the two guys for me out of the the lineup guys. I mean, that's like you said, I think Diaz would be interesting to talk to as well. That That's pretty much it for me. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like would it be the best interview in the world? No, but I feel like I would love to just have a long conversation with Francisco Lindor. I just feel like I'd come of course. out like I would just come out of that conversation really happy. <laughs> uh, I just have a feeling. So that would be a fun one. I'm trying to think on the pitching side, too. Um, I know David Peterson's a pretty good guy. His story's a little interesting. Um, Stroman's very engaging. Stroman's super engaging. I think that Stroman's probably the pitcher I would, you know, a, a pitcher I would go with for sure. Like, because you could get, if you want to get nerdy with pitching, you know, Stroh's your guy totally. and like super philosophical and motivating. Like, I'd be like, dude, how about this? Like, can you just rally off some quotes and I'll play one in my ears every day so that way I could get up ready to work and excited every day. Like I feel like Stro could just motivate us every single day. So that that would be a that would be a good one too. Yeah, it was a great question because yeah. it's it's not easy to answer. And, and like you said, of course DeGrom's the obvious and I do think DeGrom would have would be very like the DeGrom documentary one day will will be great because he's uh one of the best underdog stories in baseball history quite frankly and when all is said and done could be the greatest underdog story in baseball history so but there's a lot of you know after that it's a lot of questions so that is our show episode 47 joe any closing thoughts yeah just an another good show and appreciate all the support the questions are coming in at a rapid rate every week you know, we're seeing some reviews now, so keep going to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or whatever it is now, Spotify, Google, everywhere you get your podcasts, rate, review, like that kind of stuff is what's going to get, you know, us seen by or listened to by many other people. And as far as draft stuff, like, you know, look ahead. I mean, I'm going to have another mock draft coming uh, for SMY in the next couple of days here. And I'm thinking maybe next week but soon we will be uh having a very special guest to talk mlb draft we're going to get really into the mlb draft here over the next you know handful of weeks because the draft is only a couple weeks away so 
we have to we have to be all the way in it on that so Mets for sure. And I know we've we've gotten some questions now in the reviews. So next week's show will be mostly or majority questions from the reviews. Of course, if we have to fill, we'll take some some from Twitter as we always do. But I know we have two in there on the reviews. Hopefully, we'll have at least two more. So if you want, if you really want a question on the show, uh, leave it in a review, and and we'll catch up on all of those next week. The Twitter questions have been great. And as always, thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dawes. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.